please be seated. As, uh, as they say in the parliamentary procedure, I'd like to rise to a, a point of personal privilege. I'm going to start my sermon this morning by telling you a little story. This coming Wednesday is the 4th of July, which is a big deal. Independence Day, the day we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia on July 4th, 1776. And for almost my entire life, that has been what I recognized about July 4th, other than that it's the day before my birthday. <laughs> we'll get there. But, oh, about four years ago, after my mother had died and I had brought back lots of papers that I had taken from her house. My mother was one of those people that kept all sorts of paper. I came upon a telegram that had been sent from London or from England to my grandparents in Vienna, Austria and it said arrived safely and it was dated July 6th. And I thought, hmm. So my mother was what they call a kinder transport child. My mother's mother was Roman Catholic, her father was Jewish. When the Nazis invaded Austria in 1938 and annexed Austria, it became part of the, the Reich and my mother as a half-Jew was considered uh, a non-person. You see, in 1935, <coughs> Germans promulgated a law that anybody who was uh, one-sixteenth Jewish or more was no longer a citizen of the German Reich, could not vote, had no rights or privileges guaranteed <coughs> to them on the basis of citizenship. And when when the Germans took over Austria in March of 1938, my mother was kicked out of school. My grandfather lost his job. They were forced to move to a different apartment because theirs was a little cushier than the Germans thought they should have. And uh, my grandfather and grandmother were able to get my mother out on a train that left Austria to take the kids to England and over the course of the, the several months before the start of the Second World War, about 10,000 young Jewish children under the age of 17 were able to be uh, taken to England and uh, then to be uh, sheltered, most of them, in England throughout the war and then at the end of the war to go back and see if they could find any remaining family. Two-thirds of the kids who went came back to find that both of their parents or all of their family had been exterminated. My mother was very fortunate. Both of her parents survived. But I had it in my head that my mother had left in April because I had this photograph of her getting onto the train in Vienna at the train station and on the back of it it, it it had it had seven dot IV for 
dot three nine. Or no, it had four dot seven dot thirty-nine. But and I had always looked at that and I thought, oh, she left in April. April seventh she left. Huh. So I saw this telegram and I thought, now wait, she left in April, she arrived in July. How does this work? It surely didn't take her two months to get from Vienna to, uh, to England. And then, as they say, the light bulb went on in my head and I re re realized that in, in Europe they do it funny. They put... <laughs> Right? The day before the month. <laughs> so where it said 4, 7, 39, and I thought that was April 7th, turns out it was 7, 4, 39. July 4th, 1939, my mother left Austria. <clears throat> so this Wednesday will be the 79th anniversary of her departure from her native land, although it no longer recognized her. And uh, it's completely changed the way I think about the 4th of July. And I remember a story my grandmother told me about. My grandparents came over to the U.S. in 1947. And my grandmother tells about standing on the deck of the ship that brought them from Bremen in Germany to uh, or Bremerhaven. Same thing, Vicki? Okay. Um, she said, she told me she stood on the deck and as the Statue of Liberty came into sight, she broke down in tears because it meant that she was going to be reunited with my mother, whom she hadn't seen for eight years. So this is a long introduction to what I think one of the themes of the Gospel this morning is, is that <clears throat> My mother, a 16-year-old, was in desperate need of help. My mother, had she stayed, would most likely have been deported to a death camp. And like many of her relatives, she probably would have ended up gassed. And I would not be here this morning. And... When she needed help, it was the churches that reached out and organized these kinder transports. The Methodist Church in England, the Friends, Society of Friends, the Quakers, the Presbyterians, the Anglicans, all helped put this program together. When my mother needed help, because she was a non-person in the eyes of the Germans. It was Christ's body, the church, that reached out and rescued her. And that's what happens in the Gospel this morning. We have two examples of women who were dead or as good as dead in the eyes of their own religious authorities who encounter Jesus and are healed. First we have the story of the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Now what that means is she'd been having 
her menstrual period for 12 years nonstop. And in Judaism at the time, a woman who was menstruating was ritually unclean. That means that she was supposed to stay to herself. If she touched someone or someone touched her, they became unclean. And they could not worship in the temple until the start of the next day. Their clothes could not be touched by anyone. Their bed could not be slept in or even sat upon by another person. The food that they prepared could not be eaten by anyone else. The slightest interaction with her would have rendered the people unclean. And so that means for 12 years this woman had been locked in isolation. She had no one with whom she could be close. No one she could even touch. And I can only imagine the abject desperation she must have felt. And it's that desperation that led her to go when she heard that this Jesus guy was coming and to risk, to risk greatly, just getting in the middle of the crowd, she was rendering all these people unclean. And by touching Jesus' cloak, she was taking the risk of rendering the teacher unclean. But she was so desperate that she didn't know where else to turn to. And when she touched Jesus' cloak, Mark tells us, the bleeding stopped. And Jesus knew that something had happened. And he turns around and he says to the crowd, Who touched me? And the disciples, being dense like always, say, Well, there's all sorts of people. A bunch of people touched me. He says, No, somebody touched me in a way that, that caused power to leave me. Who was it? And the woman, overcome between fear and gratitude, knelt down and told him what had happened. And Jesus didn't say, shame on you, you've made me unclean. Shame on you, get out of here. You know better. Instead of that, Jesus said, daughter, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. See, Jesus took that woman that no one was supposed to welcome and he included her back in the community. Then there's the story of the 12 year old girl and I won't go into all the ways that the 12 year old girl and the woman who'd been having her period for 12 years and how the one was kind of right at the brink of entering full womanhood and the other one was probably right at the end of her reproductive years. I won't go into all of that. I'll save that for another preacher to do some other time. But there's just, it's, it's an amazing story. But Jairus has come and begged Jesus to come and to heal his daughter. And Jesus gets sidetracked by this woman. And I'm sure Jairus is going there. Hurry up. Come on, come on, come on. My daughter's really sick. Hurry up. we got to get there. But by the time he's done healing the woman, somebody comes and says, I'm sorry, Jairus, your daughter's died. And just let the teacher go on his way. Don't disturb him anymore. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and see what I can do for this woman. 
this young woman. And so Jesus goes and he takes her by the hand and he says to her, little girl, get up. And she too is restored to health. Now here's the thing. In ancient Judaism, to touch a dead body rendered you unclean. In the same way as touching a leper or a woman during her menstrual cycle would make you unclean. So here Jesus goes and he chooses to reach out and touch a dead body because it's only by him doing that that he can take her from that state of impurity to cleanness, from death to life, from brokenness to wholeness. You see what I'm getting at? That Jesus is the one who takes people who are broken, who are unclean, who society thinks of as impure, beyond the pale, unworthy of respect, unworthy of attention. And Jesus says, be made whole, be made well. Welcome back to the world. And I know, don't ask me how I know, I know there's at least one person in this room today. I don't know who you are, but I know you're out there. There may be more than one, but I know there's at least one person in this room who is or has been consumed by deep shame about something. I don't know what you're feeling shame about. And the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling bad for something you've done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Maybe you were sexually abused and you feel completely unclean, unworthy of love and acceptance. Maybe you were beat up. Maybe you were assaulted and you feel damaged beyond repair. Maybe you've struggled with addiction and you feel like a failure and you've burned every bridge and there's nobody who can put you back together. Maybe it's any number of other things that have happened. Maybe you grew up being told that you were no good, that you were too stupid or too ugly or too fat or too thin, that you weren't respectful enough. Maybe you were told that you didn't have a right to opinions because your opinions would be given to you and you would accept them. Whoever you are, if you're in here and you're feeling like, I'm unworthy, I'm unclean, I'm impure, I'm defiled, know that the touch of Jesus can and will make you well. And if you're not one of those people, then remember that what Jesus did is what we, the church, are called to do. We're called to be the ones to welcome in those who nobody else will take. We're called to be the ones who accept people as broken, as bruised, as battered, as traumatized as they are. And also the people whose only fault, quote unquote, is to be someone that society doesn't recognize as worthy of attention 
or respect or equal treatment. My mother did nothing wrong to have her citizenship revoked. Her only problem was that her father was Jewish. There are people in our society who because of their skin color or their language or their sexual orientation <coughs> have been treated as if they weren't part of society. And the church is called, the church is called to be that healing place for people to come, to be made whole again, to be welcomed as they are, to say you don't need to be healed because you're already great just the way you are. And then we're called to go out into the world and do the same thing because you notice that Jesus wasn't sitting in a church waiting for people to come to him asking for healing prayers. Jesus was out in the world doing what he was called to do. Preach the good news, heal the sick, set the captives free, give sight to the blind, restore hope to the hopeless. That's what this gospel is about. It's about being people of healing, recognizing and affirming the goodness of everyone and welcoming all into this community of healing and healers. So, to bring it all the way back around to where I started, I stand before you not only as a child who wouldn't be here if someone from the church hadn't reached out and offered my mother a place to stay alive, but I also stand here among us as one of many called to be healers ourselves. So I invite you, find a way in your life to do that healing work that Jesus calls us all to do. Look for those who are rejected and welcome them. Look for those who have been cast out and bring them back in. Look for those who are despised for who they are and tell them that who they are is just who God made them to be. If we can do that, we'll fulfill what our collect this morning said. Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone, grant us so to be joined together in unity of spirit by the teaching of the apostles and prophets, that we may be made a holy temple acceptable to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen.